Should we talk about the wheels first? Because uh, it was I, like I, the most popular question. I kind of want to save that for last, just okay. to troll people. <laughs> <laughs> hey there, everybody. It's Russ from Pathlessfeld, and we've got a special guest today, the very enigmatic Spencer J. Harding. You may know him from Instagram. Uh, awesome photographer, bike explorer, also uh, a contributor to the Radivus. But I think one thing that some people may not know is we've actually known each other for, for quite a bit back in the day in, in uh, Long Beach. <laughs> yeah, um, it would, I wouldn't know about bike touring if it wasn't for Russ. For, for those of uh, the viewers that may not be familiar with what you do, can you just tell us a little bit about, <laughs> about what you do? <laughs> oh, God. I guess what I'm best known for on bikes is probably like riding a tall bike on long routes. A few years ago, we got the idea to like message like 30 people on Instagram and tell them to meet in Banff. Mm -hmm. uh, which we then kind of stole the DFL tag from a bunch of people in the Bay Area. Yeah. <laughs> Not trying to like start a fight. It's just like we were joking about being like really slow on the divide. Yeah. Um, and then that's kind of like become subsequent trips with the like the same kind of core group of people. But I guess yeah, I do regularly photograph for the Radivist now, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm a coach locally here with the El Grupo Bike Packing Program, which is something I'm really excited about. Yeah. You, you talked to Veronique and Colin recently. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit and talk about the, the tall bike tour that you did. Like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> um, I wound up at a weird warehouse in Inglewood, California back in like 2010. Yeah. Um, and I walked in, the whole thing was just full of scrap bikes and people welding stuff together. And I was like, this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen <laughs> in my entire life. Um, I went there, someone taught me how to like crappily like MIG weld. Yeah. And like a week later I had a tall bike. Nice. Seen people, some friends rode from Los Angeles to Austin for a South by three of them, uh, Robert, Adonis and Rex. And I was like, well, I've gone regular bike touring. Why can't I go tall bike touring? Right. I drove my tall bike to Santa Cruz. And the first one I did was from Santa Cruz to LA along highway one, Yeah. which is terrifying if you've ever ridden you're riding above the railing. Oh yeah, I, bet. I mean, it's scary. It's scary on the normal bike, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact: um, the internal weld that held my steer tube together actually like was snapping the oh, whole no. trip down, <laughs> and I kept tightening my headset by hand, yeah. and it kept tightening. The tall bike geared, or is it? Oh yeah, yeah. it was like full three by nine. Um, I did like bike packing bags just 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 to be silly, so it was super top heavy. Yeah, um, but it worked fine. Yeah. Um, I think for touring, it's really fun. It's just this weird social collateral. Yeah. Like, you go to a town, like someone's going to buy you a cheeseburger probably because they're like, what the hell are you doing? And how did you get here? Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about yeah. uh, photography. I feel like that's one of the things that you're, you're pretty well known for. Did you go to school to, for photography or just kind of pick it up naturally? I started doing photography in high school. I had my dad's old M42 Pentax. Um, I did go to school, so that's how I wound up in Long Beach. Um, I went to Long Beach State specifically for the photography program okay. there. Yeah. I graduated with my Bachelor of Fine Arts. <laughs> I have a very fancy piece of paper that no one has asked to ever see. No. <laughs> I get asked all the time. They're like, where's your, where's your creative writing degree? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember when we first started touring, like the level of photography in the bike touring space was not very good. And now it's... It was like crazy guy on a bike. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you saw, like you, little it was like flip phone photos. Yeah, some 1980s style web, or 1990s style website and like some really crappy photos but now it's like the photography and, and bike touring bike packing or just cycling in general like the level of, of quality is just 
amazing. Change. I mean, like my first bike tours, I brought a Hasselblad. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like really into medium format photography and I took like 30 photos. Well, I think one thing that's cool is that uh, the camera technology since, you know, 2009 has like changed dramatically. Everything's mostly digital. Uh, mirrorless is a thing. Um, what kind of cameras do you like to shoot with when you go on tour? Probably anything that anyone's seen from me has been from, I have a, a Nikon D600, which is, oh God, like eight or nine years old now. <laughs> it's a classic camera. It's a classic camera, yeah, it's, it's vintage digital. Um, it's an absolute brick. Yeah. So I'm, I am shooting full frame for most things. Um, a few trips I have brought an X100, the little Fuji. I was really frustrated. The I brought that for the Baja Divide Grand Depart. Everyone was like, these are the best photos you've ever shot. Yeah. And like, I brought this little point and shoot camera and nice. I always bring this massive DSLR, like two or three lenses. Right. Everyone's like, oh, you brought the point and shoot. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> How do you usually carry your camera gear on tour? Do you use like a hip bag or you stick it in like, um, a handlebar roll or? I've got one of those old um, porcelain rocket DSLR slingers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I got, I think, one of the first of those batches. So I was talking with Scott a lot at the time. So that's been on every single tour I've gone on. And I used that and um, Kyle from Outer Shell's um, camera strap, which has kind of like a messenger bag attachment. Right. I've had a few iterations of that. So it's like handlebar, easy pull out. Right. And then if you're going to keep it on your back, you just throw it over and clip it and you can ride. Right. And it won't like swing in front of you and hit your handlebars. Right. Um, so some combination of those. The X100 will sometimes live in a fanny pack. Yeah. I killed one of those last summer in a <laughs> handlebar roll. You know, lots of great photography in the you know, bike touring, bike packing space. How do you shoot a photo that still stands out? Ooh. What has to happen in the scene for you to be like, oh, that's, that's photo worthy? I've always been a terrible director when it comes to photography. Yeah. I definitely don't like to like, like you go here i mean occasionally be like that's a sweet road like i can always <laughs> tell my buddy kurt like go do a skid there and it's going to be awesome right I, I always try and talk to people about like their voice in photography or like what they're showing or what they have access to i think it's impressing upon photographers to have better content and have like a better like like anyone can shoot a pretty photo of someone like at a sunset but like is that person what's going on like is that person interesting what's What's the context? Like, what do you have access to? So I think I've had amazing luck having access to like a beautiful group of humans. Right. Um, that makes my job as a photographer really easy. So it's I, like an interesting subject, but also like some kind of other well, like I think, narrative. I, that yeah, I think do. it's the like creating a space. Like when you're like when I was like setting up these tours, of like twenty people. It's like I'm inviting all these people that I like really care about that I know are going to be really fun. Right. And I'm not going to have to tell them to do something cool because <laughs> it's just going to happen. Right. So I think there's so much that happens with like you're setting yourself up to have something interesting happen as opposed to like forcing it to happen or trying to like coordinate it. I worked a number of years as a freelance photographer, and there was definitely a balance between you know, the decisive mo moment, like waiting for something to happen, but also having to walk away from a project or shoot with a shot. So there was a little bit of yeah, like yeah. guiding the action or anticipating and, you know, just so you oh, yeah. didn't, didn't come away empty handed. <laughs> yeah, especially with some of the more like the stuff I've been shooting recently, like say the tour divide, it's like you couldn't direct anything, but you definitely had to get something. And it's like, you're like right. <laughs> on pins and needles waiting for this moment. Yeah, so uh, let's, talk, let's talk about that really quickly. You were part of the crew that was filming uh, the, the Tour Divide. How'd that project come about? Who was on the crew and like, what was your role in, in that? Um, so Lael and Rue had been planning to do a large scale project for Pearl Zumi for a long time. Um, and it kind of came down to the Tour Divide. So Rue had been planning this for 
probably well over a year. And planning that, like if you watch any of the old stuff that Rue shot, like the French Divide, she was doing photo, she was doing video, she was driving, she did all of it. Right. <laughs> Rue is the real deal, y'all. <laughs> so in the process of doing that, I think she realized that it would be for like such an extended like two to three week project, she was right. gonna need help. So she reached out to me to help with the photography aspect. To back her up on video, uh, she invited Jay Ritchie, who's right. really awesome on like drone and gimbal. Right. So our roles were kind of like, I was doing, I did a lot of, the, I helped with like the driving logistics because I'd ridden a good portion of the northern part of that route right. um, and photography. And then uh, Rue was handling like just pretty much everything, um, shooting photos, shooting video at the same time. Right. Um, and then Jay was specifically handling drone and gimbal shots and occasionally catching some other static video stuff. What was the uh, logistics like trying to set up a shot before the writers came and all that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Nightmare. <laughs> Nightmare. <laughs> um, they got kind of crazy because a lot of the passes were really remote. Yeah. So when we thought we were going to run out of service, we'd screenshot track leaders to see where they kind of were and guess how fast they were going. Right. And then we'd have to drive like another hour, Yeah. sit there, and then like line up a shot and the light would change and you have to move. Yeah. Light would change, you have to move. And as soon as you change for the third time, they'd come around a corner right. and then it'd be gone. Cause yeah. you, or you'd be waiting and you don't know if they like stop for a snack or stop to sleep or... Right. And it's definitely not a situation where you could be like, hey, can you stop and do that again? Let me, <laughs> no, let me get a different God, angle. <laughs> God, no. Oh, how many times I wish I could have been like, just one more time. Just roll it again. Bikes at all for the shoot to get to certain locations or was it mostly from the vehicle? Um, well, we had, we were all kind of a little Subaru Outback. Um, <laughs> Specialized lent us. We were supposed to get like hybrid e-bikes, but yeah. they were using those for a shoot. So we got like full enduro downhill <laughs> electric bikes, nice. which were awesome. Um, our goal was to stay off of the actual route with the vehicle as much as possible. Yeah. Because like, if, if we were driving, we tried to go with the same way as the race because we didn't want to be driving the wrong way on like an uphill with like a racer coming downhill if we didn't know where they were. The bikes were instrumental because we could park the car like at like an intersection of the route and then two of us could go ride off for sure and yeah. get far. And like, especially for, if you watch any of the gimbal shots that um, Jay got, like he's able to ride like 20 miles an hour, like holding a gimbal, like. Yeah. The, the problem was, is if you've ridden e-bikes, you know, they cut out at 20. So if someone's riding 21, right. all of a sudden you're pedaling with a camera one-handed and your bike cuts out and you're pedaling a 60 pound e-bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying yeah. to go 21 miles an hour. So that was instrumental in us being able to ride certain sections that you either couldn't drive a car in, like single track in Colorado and Montana. Yeah. Um, and allow us to have a much smaller footprint um, on the actual race course. Cause like if you've ever ridden on a road, you don't like a car just right. hanging out behind you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you've been on the, the divide a couple times. Do you have a favorite section that you would recommend for people to ride? You go over Red Gap Pass. Um, and it's like one of the few single track sections on that route. Uh, that's just incredible. Yeah. And we were able to like chase all up it and get like drone footage and nice. like a gimbal <laughs> of her riding the single track. And it was incredible. Um, that's a section I will always like go back and ride just that pass. Like Clearwater Lake is incredible. It's just a little hike down. And that's like a big, big road climb up to the top and you can see the Mission Mountains across from you. And then you just do this like incredible single track and this little water bank. So you're hitting little jumps the nice. whole way down. <laughs> that's just incredible. I will always ride that section when I'm in Montana. So right. Well, I'm going to jump to some of the few questions that people asked. All right. <laughs> Stellar uh, Minnesota MN asks, uh, what 
uh, off standard steps have you taken to live your dreamy Instagram existence? <laughs> oh man, I lived in a closet in LA okay. for like three years. I then moved from my closet to a small trailer, like yeah. a camper, like a 16 foot camper trailer. Um, so there have been sacrifices. It's not just like, yeah. it's not just rainbows and, and unicorns. <laughs> um, I mean, I really enjoyed those spaces. I like living in small spaces and those all worked for me, but those yeah. afforded me a much cheaper rent in expensive cities like LA and Oakland, right. which thus allowed me to focus more on traveling. Um, I also used to work full-time as a tour guide. Yeah. Um, so I'd be flying to like Utah for two weeks and then I'd be like, well, just I'll just stay for another extra week and go mob around Moab or Utah. Yeah. Um, so I was constantly traveling and that kind of, if I was close enough, I would drive and, and work would pay for my gas to get there. I'd work for two weeks and have a week or two off and go home. Right. Um, so that allowed me to kind of like fund more small travel trips and be in other, be in places that I'd want to be in the right season for work and then right. take a week off. And I was living in warehouses and like alternative spaces and it just became very comfortable with living in like not your typical space. And that allowed me a little more financial freedom in that regard. So there's kind of a trade-off for the suburban dream versus travel and- I mean, and I, this, I bought a house now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> now I own you the house- You sell out. <laughs> I, I now own the house with the trailer in the yard. Nice. I'm just not living in the trailer. So yeah, the tables have turned. Now you're the uh, trailer landlord. Oh God, I am. I mean, I want to be like pretty clear though. Like I went to college, my parents helped me out entirely through college. So I graduated college without any debt. And I think, yeah. I think to not highlight that would be to like underscore like the, most people graduate, especially from like art school and stuff like that with a lot of debt and that it can be very cost prohibitive to like do anything besides work. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was very lucky in that regard to be able to just like graduate without debt. Um, and then that allowed me to save much more money even living frugally nonetheless. So, I mean, I wouldn't really call them like sacrifices. I would definitely say they weren't the usual path, but I wouldn't I wouldn't change any of that. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I mean, I think it's all a, a trade-off. Like Laura and I did something similar. Like we basically lived like below the poverty line the whole entire time we traveled, mm -hmm. you know, just to help facilitate the travel. Um, now we've kind of acquired all the stuff again, but you know, it's just, it's life cycles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a reality, I think. Like I go on trips now, like recently I went to a friend's wedding in Costa Rica and I was like, oh, I had them like five days. I just like go run or walk around right. and, and like two days in, I was like, I'm ready to go home. Yeah. <laughs> I am so ready to be home again. So those things change. I don't think being on the road perpetually is realistic for me or I mean, some people I'm sure it is, but. I think it takes a very special type to be continuously moving. Like yeah. for us, I mean, not only was it like physically exhausting, but you know, emotionally, because you're always having to negotiate like where you're gonna stay that night. Mm -hmm. um, you get to meet lots of cool people, but you also say, you know, goodbye to lots of cool people. So there's kind of like this aggre aggregate emotional toll over time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's like totally real. And I feel like it's really nice too, like sit back, like as anyone who's traveled, you've like stayed on people's couches. For sure. Like it's, I think there's a, there's a time and a place where you become the person with the couch. Right. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, when I, we moved here, I told my partner, I was like, like, you don't understand how many people are gonna come visit. Yeah, it's like you're, you're just repaying like a karmic debt. Yeah, so like the couch is always open, we have a trail in the front yard, if you're yeah. coming through Tucson, say hey. Um, if I've slept on your couch, please come visit. I'll make you breakfast and coffee. But yeah, I, I think that it's cyclical. Like everyone's gonna, you're gonna travel sometimes and you're gonna stay home, but I think it's important to eventually sometimes sit still and be a part of that community that can then support people that are still walking around and 
like coming here and being a part of Groupo and being like, okay, I want to yeah. teach someone else how to do this weird thing where I strap on my camera gear to my bike. Yeah. And that's been really rewarding. And I couldn't do that if I was traveling. So someone asked a question about um, bike biketivism was his was uh, his word for it. But kind of like the idea of, you know, incorporating some kind of advocacy or just more awareness with like bike travel. Why do you think that's important? Like we've seen lots of interesting cases recently, like for example, Land Run 100, you know, changing their name to to, to Mid-South because of, you know, whatever its, its, its ramifications. Do you think that's an important and like, you know, why now? Absolutely. Um, the Mid-South thing is kind of a funny thing because actually on that Oregon Outback ride, uh, I met Bobby. I was like, some dude I met, like, kind of drunk on a train who seemed really cool. <laughs> and I was like, people were like, well, is he going to change his name? I'm like, no, Bobby's a good dude. Yeah. And, like, defending this guy you met on a train, like, hoping yeah. he's going to do, like, this, like, the right thing. Yeah. And when I saw the change, I was like, okay, cool. Like, it takes, uh, it's really hard to get, like, called out and then, like, call it back in. Right, for sure. I mean, I've had that happen to me on articles and things that I've done. So I think the consciousness and being able to take those criticisms and then turn around and be like humble about them and then change things and not like fight back be like, well, I've done this or this too. It's like, right. that's great, but that doesn't change what happened. So I'm really excited with what I've seen, like the precedent that at least uh, Bobby has set with that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also really stoked on like the work that Bikepacking Roots is yeah. doing, you know? Yeah, and that's kind of like Kurt's idea of like, we're gonna make cool bike routes and then we're gonna give you this like 100 page document about what's right. actually <laughs> going on here is fucking rad. Yeah. Um, what Sarah Swallow's been doing with the Rusa del Jefe, like mm -hmm. inviting people from the local indigenous population from the Jaguar Project, from No More Deaths. Like when you watch that video about the first race, like there's like four shots of bikes. Right. And that's those people talking about like the shit that's going on down here and it's really real. The idea of like tricking people, so to speak, into activism or at least making them aware of it by like throwing something they'll come to like a bike race. Right. Is awesome. Like yeah. more of that. Like please, <laughs> please more of that. I feel like I could be doing more and there's a lot of people doing a lot of heavy lifting right now from those, uh, maybe the word's not marginalized, mm -hmm. but like, you know, minority groups within the cycling community, right. um, trying to be better about calling that stuff out when I see it as someone who's kind of like from the majority of that, right. um, to kind of lift that load, but we could all be doing more and I'm glad to see that more people are getting interested in that and becoming aware. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your work uh, on the Radivist. How did you first start shooting for, for John? So I think the first thing that John posted, I did the Idaho Hot Springs route. And I think I just posted some of the photos on Facebook. Right. And John saw them and I think linked them to like a Flickr album. Mm -hmm. um, and then a few months later, I did a trip with my buddy Brad and Esther and a few other friends around the Salton Sea. Mm -hmm. He saw those photos on Facebook and was like, hey, you want to take that down and we'll write an article about it. All right. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so that was my first article that I wrote for the Radivist was that Salton Sea bikepacking thing. Yeah. Um, and from there, I sent John a few more articles. So it just kind of grew organically. So that, that photo, you know, I posted the photo trying to elicit questions. That was, was that, that was a trip right up that was on the Radivus, right? The one that... Wrote... That one hasn't been up yet. Oh, that, that one's not. Okay. Yeah. Can you talk about that one? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so that was with um, Four Corners Guides. It's like, they're doing some kind of test trips right now to set up. So that's um, Lizzie Scully and uh, Steve Doom Fastbinder, <laughs> uh, Republic of Doom, if you've watched any of his crazy things. Um, 
So what we did is we drove out to Cayenta, which is on the Navajo Nation near Monument Valley. We pack rafted down the San Juan River. Um, when you get to the your takeout point, you have to like walk your raft and bike like maybe like a thousand feet. Yeah. And then <laughs> this 25 foot cliff. <laughs> and Steve's like, oh yeah, there's like a little like canyon. We'll just fireman bucket all of our stuff up. You're right. <laughs> so your bikes are already apart because you had your wheels off to be on the raft. Right. Um, so that photo was of me like carrying my bike to camp after we'd like hoisted all of our bikes. Right. And wheels and wraps and backpacks <laughs> up this narrow little canyon up a cliff right <laughs> um so i had wheels i was gonna ride my bike like the next morning um but in that moment i was just carrying it yeah to lay it down to put it back together i think but, it's a cool model I'm, i i love like kind of multi-sport things because i feel like you know as individuals you know you, you may be really passionate about one activity but that doesn't mean that's the only thing you do yeah so incorporating things like rafting or you know in my case like fishing and all this other stuff I'd, oh yeah i'd love to see like more more guided trips do both or do more but yeah i think the multimodal thing i want to be doing more of that like bikes are cool yeah but like what if you rode bikes to do other cool stuff right like, <laughs> boom feel, my I, yeah i know it's like <laughs> I feel like the like the focus on the cool bike and like the doing cool bike thing has yeah. gone like I think we've hit our wits end. Yeah. I mean there's always gonna be like bike travel, but like yeah, bike to fishing, bike to climbing, right. bike to pack raft. I don't know, like the Monte, like bike to go harvest mm -hmm. wood. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I know for me, like uh, you know, we've we've been in the bike touring for over a decade and uh first couple of years, you know, just the act of traveling by bike was was enough. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, in some ways you do it long enough, it feels like a commute and you have to start to incorporate other things like either interesting destinations or, or learn more about the history or another activity just to keep it fresh. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And it's like, can, can you talk about like making inter interesting content as well? Like, okay, like what's an angle that someone hasn't taken on like a bike tour? Right. Like, incorporating the history or something like that or bike fishing is like, you know, everyone's ridden the Oregon Outback, but have, right. who's ridden with the flyer up? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the tall bike thing wore off pretty quick. And yeah. then, <laughs> now it's like, okay, it's actually makes something interesting now. Right. Mm -hmm. I know, like, Eric Matthews out at Mid-South, speaking of that, like, he's biking around with his old, like... Like a medium format camera or something. Yeah, like and he's making his like own... A, yeah, developing yeah. on the film. He makes his own lenses out of, like, dollar bills, and he's crazy and awesome. But he's like going around photographing like people who have farms and stuff from the actual land run and like incorporating that history as a part of it. Right. Um, and so I guess to maybe like understand that better. But like, like he's doing some, like he did a really interesting trip. He rode actually to Tucson on the Butterfield stagecoach, stagecoach route. Yeah. yeah. Um, right when we first moved to Tucson. But he was stopping and talking to border agents. He stopped on the reservation and talked to like native skateboarders. Mm -hmm. um, and he just had like so many cool stories from like a week and a half. But I feel like he's a really good example of like, I'm gonna take this weird thing where I make my own lenses and then I'm gonna go ride my bike really far. And I feel like biking is the means, but not like the end. The For end sure. is the photograph like and the stories and he's getting some really amazing stuff. And that makes me want to like think more about like riding out, bike touring and just getting a photo of a cool sunset and a skid. Right. It's like, <laughs> it's cool, but like, actually engaging with what's going on or yeah for sure. where you're at and the way that he's doing it inspires me to like think a little more about that yeah i'm excited about it as generally as a trend because i feel like you know if you know the the traditional bike touring narrative of man versus nature 
is cool, but it gets kind of boring. You know, it's just a lot of like, complaining well, about it. Yeah. Yeah. against, you know? It's yeah. like this Bear grill shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's cool to have, like, other, like, cultural elements or just something that, that's a little bit more stimulating. Like, well, or conservation and talking about the, all the bikepacking ra- routes, routes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's wrap up uh, a little bit on uh, some current bike gear. Is, is there anything uh, that you're excited about, like, bike-wise? Oh man. Um and there's a lot of weird shit going on with like wide handlebars, wide tires, you know, like what what trend or what product has been like, hmm, that looks interesting. Uh well wide bars are good. I'm gonna say something very divisive right now and say <laughs> drop bars are still not wide enough. <laughs> How, how wide would you want to see them? I'm riding my like eight ten bars and I'll have bar ends and I'll be like, oh, this feels great. This is where I want my hoods. <laughs> But I don't ride in drop, so I realize right. I should just be riding flat bars with bar ends. Right. <laughs> so for you, like, what what do you like about a really wide bar? I have big shoulders. I just yeah. it just feels comfortable. Yeah. I have um, some of those Sklar Bull Moose bars, which he was so nice to send to me after I convinced him to come to Tucson for the winter. Yeah. <laughs> instead of the Bay Area, and those are eight eighty uncut and he was like you have to cut them down i was like no <laughs> no this, this is awesome um but i'm finding now i rode a, i rode the palm springs epic last weekend and it got like thrown off the trail a few times because i didn't want to like, like knuckle punch a cactus or go off a cliff and i was like oh yes i'm going off the cliff so you're stoked on wide bars stoked on wide bars um wide drop bars if you have to ride drop bars um that's what? awesome like i can't imagine riding anything smaller than like a 52. yeah what one by or two by do you have a preference one by yeah I don't ever want to set up a front derailleur. <laughs> I just set up a triple front derailleur a few weeks ago at work, and it was an absolute nightmare. Don't do that to your mechanics, everyone out there. Everyone, bring all your triples to transit on, on, on Thursday. <laughs> um, um, so I think one by is incredible. Um, wide cassettes are awesome. We're all, I guess we're seeing like a shift back to like aero gravel bikes. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we just have fun on bikes and go kind of <laughs> So here's a question, yeah. timely one. Okay, we it, sometimes it feels like we're living in the end times. If you were to build a bike for the apocalypse, what would it look like? Oh, the bike I have in the driveway. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't get rid of it. It's my favorite bike. It's like a 1983 Fuji with a crust uh, Clydesdale fork. Okay, so you got like what, what's on? I can't see. Is it like a, a just a milk basket in the front? Yeah, just a milk crate from behind Reddit. I've been thinking deeply about this. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, what I, you know what I really want? What's that? Box components. Oh, yeah. Please send QEP your nine speed group. <laughs> That's what I've been thinking too. Because, like, in the apocalypse, you know, your you're fancy, I mean, you're gonna, you're fancy apocalypse. 11 and 12 speed, you know, isn't going to. In the apocalypse, you're going to be riding a beach cruiser. Right. <laughs> like, let's be real here. Be it's riding. like not like Mad Max where you're going to be driving like fancy cars. It's like, no, everyone's going to be riding that crappy beach cruiser that's or like a ma- Or a Magna that you just picked up from the Walmart. Yeah, no, like we're all destined to like Walmart bikes forever and ever. Like we're not going to have cool like right. motorcycles and semis. No. Enjoy while it lasts. Yeah. Yeah, so I get wide bars, nine speed. You know what I really, really want that I'll never be able to afford? I want one of those like wireless droppers the access droppers <laughs> i want a dropper that costs more than my bike because nice. <laughs> <laughs> i have set up so many of those transax droppers on gorilla monsoons yeah and like snipping the cable within like a millimeter yeah <laughs> and never want to do it again I'm like just press a button so I, do i need to say what my favorite supple tire is <laughs> yeah what what, ti- what make tire? the dynamic choice <laughs> i don't know i haven't ridden it that's all yeah. i have 
Uh, for people that want to see more of your photography or follow your adventures, where's the best place to go? Uh, I guess Instagram or The Rativist. Uh, just type in Spencer J. Harding or Spencer Harding. I'll pop up. Yeah. Or if you want a really fun adventure, Google me and then see what other weird products I've worked on in the past that <laughs> <laughs> are not bike-related. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us on the YouTube channel. Uh, I hope you guys like this content. Uh, be sure to like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And as always, keep the supple side down.